let's crank it up a notch. This is music after all. Episode 33 and a third of Etc. Etc. with Young Southpaw. That's moi. Me, if you ain't got your French tongue on. Happy holidays, everybody. I've been thinking, you know, bands should make advent calendars, don't you think? I mean, that would be rad. I'm not sure how it would work. I mean, you'd want a physical one, you know? I know they can make digital anything, you know, with an MP3 behind every door, but but I want the real thing. Like Faith No More. Kind of kind of strange choice of name for the holy holiday season, but there you go. Or maybe even better than the real thing, you know, bringing it back to the religiosity again with you two there. But, but let's just keep it on the straight and narrow. Ain't nothing like the real thing, you know, like Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell sang. I mean, someone should make it happen. I mean, obviously Marvin Gaye can't, you know. I mean, his, his father shot him. I mean, maybe like Guns N' Roses then? I mean, I guess there'd be all sorts of legal red tape if you open one of the windows, you know, and there's just a loaded gun. All cocked and loaded like L.A. guns, you know? I mean, not really part of the holiday spirit, you know? I mean, it doesn't matter. Everybody comes together during the holidays, you know? Cocked and loaded, all ready to go. You know, ready, you know, like have a red rose behind door number one. You know, color a Rudolph Schnoz. The reindeer, not Rudolph Shanker from the Scorpion. I don't know, I mean, maybe if he's drunk or actually got beat on the nose by a scorpion. I think it's probably best for all of us if the scorpions just stay out of the whole advent calendar game, you know? Or any merchandise where a a real-life scorpion could be lurking behind something you open. Actually, though, Guns N' Roses is perfect, you know? This time of year, November rain. I mean, you can't can't open a window. Well, I mean, if you could make it rain, like in real life, I mean, these advent calendars would be powerful tools of magic. Especially if, like, they could make it rain for, like, 14 years. You know, that tune off Use Your Illusion. But like a 14-year advent calendar, I mean, that would be a bit excessive, you know? I mean, those calendars are usually like, what, 25 days? Having one 204, 205 times as long as that? I mean, might get in the Guinness Book of World Records, but I mean, it's going to be a struggle, man. I mean, first off, how long would it take to make it? You know, just one, let alone a whole plethora to be selling as merchandise. And where would you store such a thing? You might need to build like a whole new city depending on what's inside. We built this city on advent calendars, you know. Jefferson Starship getting back together. 
There might be a legal battle with guns and roses over the proprietary rights of the 14-year size. Unless, like, again, in the spirit of the holiday season, they joined forces and did, like, we built this paradise city on advent calendars. I mean, if it's a city, you'd think there'd be room enough for everybody to live. And L.A. Guns. Though is the name of the city where these are stored and everyone's living called Paradise City? Because, I mean, L.A. Guns would have to change their name then, you know? Paradise City Guns. I mean, this is going to get confusing. And, like, it could just be me, but my idea of paradise isn't a city where its main raison d'etre is, like, to manufacture advent calendars that are 14 years long. But, I mean, let's not be pessimistic. I mean, you just need a can-do attitude to do it, you know? A GNR-covered attitude, you know, that Misfit song? Imagine if, like, Axel convinced Glenn Danzig to be one of the treats himself, you know? Man, that's a gamble. Danzig would have to wait for someone to buy it and then wait for them to get to his door. All without snacking on any of the goodies inside. But somehow, you know, keeping himself alive, you need nutrition. And what if he's the very last day of year 14? I mean, would he have his own private stash of supplies? Not to be confused with the actual gifts of the calendar. I mean, he'd have to be sure to finish them before they opened his door, you know, to prevent any sort of legal trouble over who owns what. Danzig or the owner of this advent calendar. And also, you know, not to consume them too quickly as to be very early on left high and dry. Def Leppard, you know. And if there's a Def Leppard problem around this thing, well, forget it. If you want to hear the rest of this story, and believe me, there's more, head on over to youngsouthpaw.com or wherever fine podcasts are provided. It's the latest episode of the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast. Episode's called Power Windows, and of course Rush is in there too, don't you worry. But let's get to this week's episode of this podcast. It was my pleasure to speak with Mr. Mark Manone of the Lost and Lonesome Recording Company. Manone alone, Last Leaves, and of course, previously of the Luxmiths, a band I have loved since 2003. In fact, when I drove across country in February of 2020, right before everything hit, that first day I was on the road, I just put on the Luxmiths and listened to like a hundred of their tunes. It's perfect. And I'm always curious when I get an email from Lost and Lonesome about a new release to check out, which seems to happen about every week. Hey, we'll be talking about all this, so, so let's get to it. All right. We're here today with Mark Manone. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you doing, Young Southpaw? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. That's good. It's nice yeah. to connect. It is. We're 16 hours apart. It's crazy. Can't get my head around it. Yeah, I know. I'm, here I am in the future. It's and it's great. I have to tell you, it's wonderful. <laughs> Thank goodness, man. I've been worried, <laughs> Noah. 
<laughs> everything going on in the world just got to wait 16 hours though no? well i'm here to tell you that 16 hours in in, uh, in advance is a wonderful place to be that, that is so reassuring to hear <laughs> so do you remember what made you fall in love with music in the first place when you were young mm, gee um i think it was the um i think weirdly uh it was because I, I grew up with an older sister who was three years older than me and i kind of idolized her every move and, and and that sort of thing so i think it was kind of the show the showiness of it like as far as like rock music goes like my sister was really big into um you know dancing and getting dressed up and she would dress me up as gene simmons and she'd be paul stanley and that kind of thing so i think it was like just the fun the kind of like the sort of fun recklessness and 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 the the um uh, over the top um costumes and just just the whole visual aspect of it as well as the the music i mean i think that was a big deal for me it would i think it would have been different if i grew up just listening to the radio and had no um sort of video component or something like that as well yeah totally like my older cousins always were like you know really excited about the music they were into and you know of course it like you know wore off on me yeah yeah well that's yeah that's a great thing it's easy to you know pass things down if you're really passionate about them so it's um it's nice to have a younger sibling or cousin or something to to offload that stuff to so she dressed you up as gene simmons yeah yeah i got gene which i was pretty happy with to tell you the truth i mean you know even though he seems like a bit of a scumbag these days i mean i was really into the bass early on like the bass guitar I was nice. going to ask, is that what uh, sealed the deal with the bass for you? <laughs> I don't know if it sealed the deal, but it definitely um, brought it into my line of vision a bit more um, when I was a little kid. So, um, yeah, especially that one that was like shaped like the axe. That 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 one Very sounded cool. great just because it looked like an axe. Yeah. So. <laughs> Have you ever thought about what your makeup would be if you joined KISS? Hmm. It'd probably be something clownish, like like a sad clown, maybe with like uh like you know, a one uh like broken glasses with you know one black eye sort of thing. And uh I love yeah. it. And then yeah. you have a double base attack with the sad clown <laughs> and the demon. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do that. I mean, yeah, geez, that would be a dream. <laughs> So when did you realize that music was what you wanted to do with your life? Um, probably around that time. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, um, uh, I don't know. Like, cause when I started learning, like actually taking guitar lessons in high school, I was terrible for so long. I was just pathetic. And, um, all these other kids were just getting so good at it. And I just was, pretty hopeless, uh, you know, chubby fingers, pretty uncoordinated and just, um, I just kept at it. And I think, um, I, I don't know, I think that really just drove home, like just, just really working hard at it and realizing that, that I was getting somewhere with it. That was a, um, like a great feeling of overcoming, you know, some adversity and having success in something small and, um, you know, playing, starting to play school concerts and things like that. Um, it was a real buzz, but, um, yeah, as far as like, you know, after school and I, I think when I met 
when I met um, the guys in the Luxmiths uh, in high school, I think that was like, I was like, I really clicked with them. Um, even though musically it was probably, probably a little bit different to what I was listening to. Um, but um, it was just like getting together with people who were quite, I guess, organized and, um, and really keen to rehearse and just um, write songs as much as possible. And that like, up to that point, I was just playing basically covers and trying to write a few of my own songs. But when I met Marty Donald in high school and he just had like notebooks upon notebooks, just full of lyrics. And I was just like kind of captivated by that whole, that whole aspect. I didn't realize people were actually, you know, dedicating their all their free time to, to sitting around writing songs. So that was a real yeah. turning point. What sort of stuff were you listening to then? Oh man, just like, you know, your mixed grab bag of teenage boy stuff. Um, Jimi Hendrix, uh, the Ramones, um, like Rolling Stones, just basically, you know, kind of something that you, you know, something with a great back catalogue that you could dive into. I was sort of mm. pretty passionate. Credence, I was really into Kings. I guess a lot of 60s stuff. Um, um, whereas Marty was more kind of listening to like 80s indie pop stuff, um, a lot of the Smiths and um, Lloyd Cole and uh, stuff like that. So, um, that was interesting sort of being opened up to a different world of music as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So like, well, um, I became, when I was in about year seven or year eight through my sister again, um, I, I started listening to midnight oil. Uh, I'm not sure how much you know about midnight oil in, uh, in Florida, but, um, I yeah. loved Forgotten Years. I remember seeing the world premiere of that video and just being like, wow, this is super catchy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, uh, I guess I was, when I was like 13, 14, I sort of fancied myself as a bit of a political activist. <laughs> um, and I got really into like, I mean, just just basically what, what Minato were espousing, which was, you know, land rights for, for indigenous people and, and, and nuclear disarmament and things like that. So I, I didn't really understand about like the, the mechanics of it all, but I just kind of had this real surface level um, passion, you know, to, you know, to fight the power. And, um, and so I started writing um, a fair few horrible, <laughs> like sort of uh, anthems. Um, they were pretty terrible. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to even tell you that much, but um, I think the like the lowest point, and my friends bring this up occasionally, so I don't mind telling you about it. Um, one song that was called Butcher Baker Uranium Miner, <laughs> and it was just um, really horrific. And like, Sounds yeah, real snappy. Yeah, yeah, it's real <laughs> snappy. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I think I was uh, 13 when I wrote that. So, um, yeah, I was. I kind of like after I, d I went through that phase, I didn't write any new material till I was in my twenties, <laughs> like it, lyrics wise. Anyway, it took me a while to sort of sift that out of my system. So, what was the first song you wrote where you're like, "Oh, I can actually do this. This is a good tune." <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, like, as in wrote the lyrics or, or like collaborated on music? Do you mean or? Um. I guess whatever song, you know, inspired that in you that you're like, oh, uh, thing. Yeah, I guess like any of that real real early Locksmith stuff, you know, once we started playing, it, it was kind of 
um, yeah, just fun and real simple and, and, um, just not really kind of, uh, trying to emulate anyone in particular, anyone's sound or anything like that. Um, and yeah, so I guess just like that early Luxmith stuff, like, um, Cat in Sunshine or, you know, which, um, you know, we look back now and whenever I talk to Marty about that stuff, he just cringes and curls up in a ball and wants to cry. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, like just that music made me feel really confident about going out and playing in front of people and giving it a good crack. Cool. Yeah. So it seems like every week I'm getting a band camp update that Lost and Lonesome has a new release or a new reissue out to check out. So <laughs> tell me about the label, man. <laughs> You just received one right then. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> they come like yeah, every couple hours. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The label has been really busy. Like, um, even though this year, you know, obviously it got slowed down by the thing. Um, there's been, I, I guess, I sort of at the start of the year before 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 anything happened, you know, with locking things down or anything. I um, I was kind of like, well, a lot of the early releases from the label like late 90s early noughties sort of stuff hasn't really uh isn't available digitally or anything so it's kind of just like floating out on cds somewhere and you know no one's probably listening to it so i was like this is terrible like i need to uh, make it available so people can hear it and i i I was like well the label's been going for 20 odd years like it's probably a good time to to re you know relaunch a lot of that stuff yeah. So, um, yeah, it's sort of been quite a hectic uh, several past few months just getting all that out there. Um, and it doesn't seem like much work. It's like, oh, yeah, the song's already there and this and that, but it's just like so much boring stuff to do. Metadata. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and just, yeah, just stuff that you forget and you're like, oh, no, that, that song's coming out tomorrow and I didn't do this and this and this. So, yeah, it's just like my life is just one, like balancing uh, anxiety and guilt. Like it's one or the other at any given time. It's like, oh, no, I didn't do that. But, oh, God, i got to do that thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was thinking about it. If, you know, if I had my time again, I wouldn't have started a record label. It's just <laughs> it's one of those things that just... You just can't stop once it's going. You've just got like lots of lots of um, people relying on you to do some stuff occasionally. But I mean, it is fun too, and I get to do fun interviews with Young Southpaw. So there you go. yeah, <laughs> how many releases have you put out? Uh, kind of. Well, that's kind of debatable because um, uh, a lot of the like the Luxmiths releases. Uh, were transferred over when Candle Records closed down. So I, I haven't, I didn't, like they're, they're counted in the catalogue as a Lost and Lonesome release, but originally it was, you know, there's like 20 releases there or you know, 15 yeah. that, that weren't um, uh, originally on Lost and Lonesome. But somewhere up, you know, 100, 120 or so. Wow. Somewhere like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like huge, but it's, it's decent for, it's you hefty. know, one one dude in his lounge room trying to get yeah. stuff over the line. And uh, that foot, the foot's reissues. I was digging those. That song, Fickle. Oh, yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yep. And th- that was the first release on Lots and Lonesome? 
that that was yeah that album um was uh was fickle off the first album yeah um yeah uh it was uh the first release yeah we we jane from the foots and i started the label uh and and we talked we got together and had weekly meetings for about a year before anything actually happened because <laughs> we were like we had all these uh ideas and things that were you know uh that we wanted to do but they all just took quite a while to to come to fruition so um you know we had plenty of time to go down to the business registration office and set things up and do it properly which at the time we were just like yeah cool we'll just send out some uh, hard copy um newsletters to people who are on our mailing list postcards and mm. um and we would just sell some cds and it was a pretty like uh Little, humble little um, cottage industry. So it, was, it wasn't really something that we thought was going to carry on for any period of time. And, and Jane's very wisely bailed out after about three years. <laughs> but we're still good buddies. So, um, yeah, they've actually been working on some new material. So, oh. yeah, the Foots. And I think, well, I'm not sure if they've officially changed their name, but they did a show recently as a two-piece and were called Cheeses. Cheeses in chips types of cheese um so yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel about the juxtaposition between foot and cheese (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure that's occurred to them but you know it's definitely what next jams (laughs) gross how'd you decide on the name lost and lonesome um we we that was like we were trying to come up with really cool sort of country sounding country music sounding name and That's um perfect country sounding yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know why we i think we were listening to a lot of country music at the time and just sort of you know uh riffing on that idea um but we've only ever released one country two country albums so yeah um we'll, uh that was uh, actually jane's other uh, band fibro town okay um, which was an amazing album. They, were, they were a great live band from melbourne and um, a, a co-release of um, Sunny in the Sunset's uh, longtime companion, okay. um, which, yeah, still remains one of my all-time favourite records. Nice. Like, on any label. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe one day we'll do some more country music. I like it. <laughs> what are your other all-time favourite records? Um, oh, gee. It's kind of changed. I was thinking about my like my desert island discs from maybe you know ten years ago, and I think that, well, I think something like uh, Jonathan sings by Jonathan Richmond is still kind of uh, up there, and um, uh, that first television personalities record nice. is just outstanding. I still love that one. Um, other than that, it's it's kind of hard. I mean, I I would maybe put one or you know, one teenage fan club album in there. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. What, what, what about yourself? My favorite album of all time. Well, I have two kind of two tied, um, Van Halen's 1984. Cause it was the album that made me fall in love with music. Again, my older cousins, you know, were hugely into it. I was eight years old that summer, but you know, you know, just just so exciting. Yeah. 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 And, uh, the Afghan wigs, black love. That's oh, another cool. favorite. Uh, yeah. Suede's Dogman Star. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, 
I, I revised mine recently too, because I realized that ACDC's Power Ridge is just an incredible ass kicking record. And I, I've loved that record <laughs> since I was like 12 years old. And I, yeah, sure. You got kick recently. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess like ACDC is going to get a whole pass in any, in any uh, top five for anyone, aren't they? There's probably some record that you didn't even realize that you've been listening to your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Were you ever um, a fan? Um, I wouldn't say I was a fan, but I've definitely, I definitely, you know, have a love for them because, yeah, it's kind of impossible to grow up in Australia without hearing it yeah. somewhere. And um, you know, if you're at the pub or something, and it, some DJ puts a song on, it's you know, it's the best thing you'll hear all night, sort of thing. Um, but uh, and are those records it they that you would still listen to these days? Like, would you still put those ones on that you? Oh yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And like, like, like 1984, would you put that on as a nostalgic thing or would you just put it on and sort of, can you still sort of hear fresh? I, I still get excited. Uh, you know, when yeah. I hear it. And then like when Eddie died, you know, a couple of months ago, I was just, yeah. I mean, I don't, I've never really cried over celebrities, but that hit hard because it was tied yeah. up with all these memories of, you know, family times and falling in love with music and like you know yeah. this is what i want to do with my life and it's just absolutely yeah and uh and i remember there was a i was living in connecticut last year up in the northeast and uh yep. there was a monday night comedy thing and you know um greg the dj at the night would you know he'd play whatever song you wanted when you're walking on stage and i always have him play van halen and it was just like this incredible feeling of just you know, walking yeah, up to like wow. this kick, ass kicking riff <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah well during this ACDC kick of the past however many weeks, I watched a bunch of documentaries online and there's the talk about them, you know, they got quite big in Australia and then they moved to London because they wanted to, you know, take it further. And they were saying yeah. they, they could have easily just stayed in Australia and it ended up like, and they named some artists who were, you know, quite successful, but, you know, not known internationally. I was wondering yeah. who are some like the Australian artists that you are fond of who, you know, people outside Australia might not know. Oh, that's a good question. Um, like kind of like uh, what's the word seminal ones you mean for for you know like my generation or something like that. Um, ah, oh, geez. Um, well, I guess um, was it like Cold Chisel? Have you have you ever heard that band? I know the name. I don't think I've ever listened to them though. Yeah, they're kind of like ubiquitous here. Like you can't you. You can't go down to, you can't walk down the street without hearing one of their songs wafting through the air. You, you know, you're in a supermarket and something will come on. Like, and they've got like one or two songs that are kind of like, or well, one song in particular is just like the the biggest torch song ever written in Australia. And it's like, um, it's like a it's like a Vietnam veteran sort of song. You know, uh, I guess it's like a Freebird style song. You know. If you're if you're playing a show and someone doesn't like you, they'll yell out, "Play K San," and that's kind of like, uh, yeah, that's kind of like the biggest put down you could get. Even though you know it's a great song, and um, but uh, yeah, that I, that I was actually into I was into Cold Chisel again through my sister <laughs> when I was um, when I was in high school. But um, yeah, they sort of dropped by the wayside a bit. But yeah, uh, I I was surprised they never sort of made it big overseas. Um, they're just massive here. Um, who else? That that'd probably be the biggest one, I'd say. Um, 
Mm, I can't think. There was some uh, consternation over on a church Facebook group, the church, the band, not the, the church. Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, Rolling Stone Australia recently put out a top 50 Aussie bands list and the church weren't on it at all, which is really shocking. And like yeah. the go-betweens and the Triffids were pretty far down the list as well. I mean, I, was, I, I wasn't holding anything with this list. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ACDC did top it, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely different schools of thought here about you know bands like that. Like a band like the Church is definitely still um, considered more of a sort of a cult band rather than a big sort of famous rock band. But they've got maybe two songs that will get played on commercial radio all the time. But um, outside of that, no one that listens to that stuff would actually hunt down their records and try and. Yeah, you know, hear about their sort of early sort of Paisley Underground stuff or anything like Damn. that. Yeah, they're they're cool though. I love I love the church. Yeah, and you were saying before how like discovering uh, an artist who had like a huge back catalog to get into. They mm. were like that for me. I mean, I had heard Starfish, you know, new under the yep. whip. You know, I like that song, but I never really mm-hmm. listened to it. And then someone posted some a Maya one day, uh, just like ten years ago, and I was just like, oh, this is an incredible song. Then I looked them up again and there were like you know 20 albums to go back and listen to so yeah yeah you think as you cool. get older there you don't really discover more bands like that but this was you know a real treasure to find yeah absolutely yeah it's the gift that keeps on giving absolutely the church the band that is not yes. <laughs> not the <a> religious <laughs> institution <laughs> uh yeah now you guys the locksmiths were in london for a while um in 2003, I was living there in the autumn and I saw you guys a bunch. Were you like, had you moved there? Or were you just on like an extended tour? No, we were just, yeah, back and forth. Like we were touring around Europe and I think we just, um, I think we just sort of bounced, bounced back and forth a bit and played in London a few times. But um, uh, variously, we've lived there uh, over the years. Tali, our singer, lived there for maybe two or three years, maybe it was like 99 till 2001 or something like that. Um, and I was living there 2005, 2006. Um, but yeah, we never actually, we never did the big band move and, you know, headed over there and tried to crack the scene or anything. So that was just, that was just um, a nice thing that we got to do. I guess there's a lot of Aussie expats over in London. So we always had a bit of a crowd, ready-made crowd. that was very nice. But um, yeah, maybe yeah. we were never very we were never very careerist in that way. We didn't like think, oh, what's the next step for us? You know, we just kind of just went along doing our thing and just sort of if we got to tour, we got to tour. So that was the way we played it. Those shows were great. I remember uh, I think it was the LSE with the Eisler set. Oh uh, yeah, um, I don't know, some strange fruit stuff that autumn. Yeah, that was that was that show was so fun. Was it was Comet Gain on that bill as well? Or so. Yeah. Probably. I mean, yeah. it was wild. It was a huge but. night. Yeah, yeah. And then I was at the uh, the Scala show, the last one in London. That mm. was with Daniel Kitson, who I love well. <laughs> yeah, that's still one of the wildest things I've ever seen happen on stage was Daniel Kitson's stand-up routine that night. It was just like, wow, how to like if you had not heard of that guy or knew who he was most of the audience I'm pretty sure would have felt kind of alienated by everything that came out of his mouth. <laughs> yep. Um, and it was just like, Oh man, what you just like, I've seen him a bunch. And when, you know, we were stoked when, when we asked him and he said he'd happily play, um, 
like we were just so excited and then like we were just up the back just like like bent over just laughing hysterically it was too much it was too, almost couldn't go on ourselves after that it was yeah <laughs> so how psyched were you when you realized you could use the name Manone alone for your solo stuff I and mean, that's, that's oh, pretty good <laughs> yeah i wasn't that psyched to tell you the truth it wasn't really my idea it was um uh Going back to to, the, to London, um, Sean, who ran Fortuna Pop Records. So when I when I went and spent a bit of time there in you know 2005 or so, um, and did like started playing the occasional acoustic solo show, or whatever. Um, he started right, you know, he would write it on the blackboard, you know, at the front of the pub or whatever that Manona Lone was playing, um, and that was his little uh, little wisecrack. And then like. It just sort of caught on and then I finally got a band together that's a, you know, full-time band that I happen to be in. It's not like my band. It's just like four of us. They're like, no, nah, can't change the name. The name's too good. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to be regarded as a solo artist or anything, so it just seems, um, yeah, kind of at odds with that <laughs> massively. Like everyone's like, what, you got a, you got a band? Um, you know, I'd want to be called something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like a cool name, but maybe one day. <laughs> so I really dug the single, uh, do it twice when it came out last year. Tell me about that one. Um, that, that, uh, song was, um, uh, that actually the end of that song was kind of, uh, a, it wasn't a locksmith song, but we had, um, worked on it as an idea for a long time and it just never ended up in a song and I was just like all right I'm just I really like the end of that I, I like that part that the music the little riff that comes in at the end and I want to write a song about I want to write a song around that and I don't even care um you know it's just basically the song just has to lead up to this cool riff at the end and so it's like <laughs> uh <laughs> it was just by chance that um the the rest of the song had a few other good ideas in it um and worked out because i was just like i'm sick of having this piece of music that i really like and every band i'm in we jam and it sounds really fun and then there's no song to have with it so um yeah it kind of like it was it feels real like a kinks uh riff or something at, at the end and, and i really like that um uh yeah but um and the song itself um yeah it's just basically about um, you know, getting a chance to have a, a do-over and everything that you've sort of messed up along the way. And, uh, um, yeah, I guess, you know, when you get in your 40s, you, there's a few things you kind of feel like you could have done differently. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, Sonny Smith, Sonny in the Sunsets, uh, Sonny was like when he heard the chorus of the song, he was like, you've ripped my, you've ripped my song off like because there's like a line that, vaguely and i was like i didn't rip your song off i ripped off the beach boys like <laughs> um and you know he's he's a good one to talk about ripping off <laughs> <laughs> just between you and me yeah no one else will know <laughs> yeah yeah no one so have you been making music this year uh yeah actually yeah i've been uh i i borrowed um uh, my friend Jane, who I started a label with, she loaned me her um, 
per eight track uh, cassette recorder, um, Tascam 688. Nice. And I've just been playing with that. Yeah. So, yeah, during the lockdown and everything, it's just been really nice, sort of little fun. Because uh, I'm not really big into home recording or, you know, I don't get on band, uh, what do you call it, garage band or anything. Or, or I mean, I've, I do some recording occasionally if I have to, um, but um, I'd rather go to a studio and do it with people that know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it has been really, really fun to, to get into that realm, put the headphones on and just record some stuff. So, yeah, I've got like a bunch of new stuff. I'll probably put it out sometime next year. Um, I can you still find cassette tapes <laughs> like readily yeah. to, to use? Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's amazing. Well, I actually I, I got a box full of them from my friend who works at I don't know what you'd call it over there, but he works at a tip shop. A tip shop is like uh, the garbage dump or somewhere. I guess is oh, that okay. what like yeah. we, call, we call it the tip. Yeah, uh, and he sort of works in the like they go through everything, and if there's stuff that's worth, you know recycling or selling on they they pull it aside and he had like a whole box of uh these special type two tapes they're called like they're, they look oh. like a regular cassette but they allow for like eight tracks to be yeah. recorded on. um <laughs> that's so, yeah i <laughs> know uh, that's pretty amazing so um yeah pl- plenty of and th- they've all got like classical music recorded all over them so i'm just like slowly recording over these beautiful classical music pieces <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> do what you got to do. It's the, it's the cycle of life. What can you say? <laughs> and you were pretty much gigging right up until lockdown, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we actually the uh, we were having a lost and lonesome um, residency uh, once every week uh, at a pub here, the Tote, and um, yeah, we had to shut that down halfway through. And the pub was, yeah, the, the venue was like, well, you guys do what you got to do. And, you know, it just seemed like the right idea. And, you know, yeah. there were still bands. There were still, you know, it was kind of like that murky area in March where everyone's like, oh, geez, I don't know. I think it's a bit of an overreaction. But, um, yeah, we just pulled the plug on that. But, yeah, so uh, there was a, yeah, there was a lot of music going on at the start of this year. <laughs> and there was nothing. The pub is called The Toe? The tote. The tote. Oh, okay. <laughs> the toe is a good name for a pub. There's probably one. There's probably one in the UK called the Toe and Crow or something like that. You would hope. Those <laughs> guys that the Foots ever played there. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And that uh, that Soda Stream song share thing was pretty cool. I like that idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. Letter from yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys were meant to like they were about to start recording their their own their their, their new album, and they uh, sort of put a hold on that. And so that was the, to fill the void. They they did that little song share thing, pass it on, record a bit, and then pass it on to someone else. So that was yeah, it was really nice. It ended up beautifully. Such a such a tearjerker. Yeah. Did you record that on the task game? No, I didn't. <laughs> I recorded that in a Reaper or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little bit of tremolo, uh, tremolo baritone guitar. I was like, what's the saddest, saddest instrument out there? It's got to be the tremolo baritone guitar. I, I, yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, you know, flugelhorn or something, I guess. Mm. This is, mm. <laughs> That's a good question. Is the flugelhorn sadder than the 
Tremolo yeah. doesn't have a guitar. Who knows? <laughs> Get them both together. You got your country album right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> so what releases do you have coming up for next year? Do you have anything planned? Um, we've got a bunch of oldies, old folks finally releasing long overdue albums. Uh, bands like um, Mid-State Orange have, have been working on a new album. I dig that EP, man. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, they're an amazing band. It's just been, uh, how long has it been? Like, their album came out in 2006 or something. So, yeah, they've, uh, this is their follow-up <laughs> album to that. Uh and the Small Goods is another band who who haven't put out really any music this decade, past decade, and um, yeah, finally got a new record coming out. Um, should be some new Last Leaves, which is the the band I'm doing with really? Marty and Louis from the Luxus. Yeah, yeah, that album is excellent. Ah, thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, so hopefully, yeah, Marty's written stacks of new songs again. So yeah, we've just got together the other day to have a play and. Sounding good already. So nice. Yeah. Um, aside from that, uh, it's always a surprise. There's always like bands on the label who are like, hey, here's a master for our new recording. We, you know, can you put it out in two months? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, keeps it fun. Keeps I can see your anxiety and guilt you're talking about before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's all part of it. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, that's all my questions. You got anything else you want to add? Anything? No, no. Thanks for uh, persevering. I was like, that coughing fit was, uh, I thought that was going to hang around, but it went away quickly enough. It was the only one. Yeah. By the way, I'm COVID free. I got tested. So it's all, it's cool. Was the test as bad as people say? Oh, you haven't had it? No, but I probably will get it soon. It's brutal. (laughs) It really is. It just goes so far up your nose. Like it's touching your brain. Yeah. They give you a tissue and you're like, what's that for? And they go, oh, You'll see. And you're like, your eyes just go. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nuts. But you feel kind of good afterwards. You're like, all right, I did my thing. Did my thing. Must have been a relief. Yeah. Yeah, super relief. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got no, I, uh, nothing else to add, really. Thanks for the questions. That was uh, very um, thorough. Oh, thank you. I well researched. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you very much. I love the podcast too. It's really funny. It's really good and uh, informative. Yeah. Great. Thank you for listening, man. Cool. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Great chatting with you. All right. A pleasure to talk to Mark in the future like that too. Tough to coordinate with Australia being 16 hours ahead like that, but always worth it. I did the same with Steve Kilby from the church a couple months ago. So yeah, do check out all Mark's releases at lostandlonesome.bandcamp.com. I'm excited for that new Last Leaves record. In Southpaw news, well, speaking of Lost, the Lost Archimedes album is now streaming at Bandcamp, Apple Music, Amazon. Check it out. The Quietest called it far more interesting than your usual spoken word slash comedy album. At Bandcamp, it's youngsouthpaw.bandcamp.com. There's a bunch of other stories up there, too, literally hours of them. So get your Southpaw on. If you're digging these podcasts, subscribing, sharing, reviewing, all that very much appreciated. I hope you all have a grooving new year and a safe and prosperous 2021. 
I do appreciate y'all listening this year. Thanks very much for your support. And I'm going to play you out now with Manone Alone's 2019 single, Do It Twice. Happy holidays, y'all. Do it out of time in existential penitentiary. Sitting in my houseboat, watching the sun float up the edge of another century. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I want to make the same mistakes. I want to feel the fever sweats and forever shakes, yeah. I met a girl at the after party at the gig in Ballarat. I heard her say she was into girls and gay, heard it too. And that was that. I wanna do it again. I wanna do it again. I wanna make the same mistakes. I wanna feel a fever sweats and forever shakes. I wanna do it again. Once and